Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer simply saying thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for yet again another day, another opportunity to come before your throne of grace and to learn just that much more about you. Father, I ask that you would sit me, J.R. the man down, and that you, O sovereign Lord, would rise up big inside of me, professing your words of truth, placing them upon my lips, speaking to our hearts tonight, Father. For Lord, you always know exactly what it is that we need. So please continue to do the thing that you do best, and that is to be God all by yourself. It's these things we thank you for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, everybody. We are here for Bible study. And as promised, because God is so good, we are back, back. It has been a long time. I checked the other day, actually. And um, God willing, this will be the first uh, YouTube version of the Bible study since June of 2023. So last year, almost, it's almost been a full year. Um, There were a lot of technical issues in the way of that, uh, primarily with my camera, but uh, God is good. Uh, We got it all resolved and now we're here. So uh, this word moving forward, we'll have YouTube and podcast again. So happy to fully be back. With that, let me talk to you about the word tonight. We have a special one that God has allowed me to entitle Led and Fed. Now, you may be asking yourself, hmm, that's an interesting choice of words. Well, I'm glad you think so. Let me explain it to you briefly. We, as Christians, we as children of God, right? We are just that. We are the Lord's children. We are his disciples. We are his followers, right? And it's our job, as Jesus so very solemnly put at the end of, uh, was it the book of John, right? To go forth in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to baptize the nations in their name, their one name, because there is one God who just wears many hats like we do. I'm JR, but I'm a, a son, a nephew, a cousin, all of the above, but still just me in the same capacity. Jesus is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's you know, it's real simple to put together. But with that, <clears throat> he gave us the great charge. And in doing so, how do we baptize people in his name? Well, we have to follow him. He made a way by becoming said way, right? And in becoming said way, he made it to where we could simply follow him, his life that he led, the example of what it means to live a truly God-led life. And in doing so, he feeds us, right? So. The beautiful part about this, and we'll go ahead and hop into scripture, is simply this. It's that you always know, and you can feel it, that when you're doing things the godly way, right, you're satiated. You're never without lack, right? Now, we do get hungry along the way because at some point throughout the growth in our relationship with God, we desire more. We want more of what he has to offer. We get hungry. We want to dig in the word. We want to get into the depth of it. Like the Bible says that there is a deepness to the word and that for us to access it, 
I mean, we just need to do so, right? We need to spend time with God. We need to talk to him. We need to ask him questions. We need to seek his face like the Bible teaches us. And what does he do? He feeds us. I mean, he himself says that he is the bread of life. But let me not get ahead of myself. I'm a little excited about tonight. So we'll get started, right? The first passage of scripture that I'm going to share with you comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Now, I know it's a little chunk of scripture here, but the importance of us reading this bigger passage is because of everything that Jesus is saying here. So the Lord starts off by saying, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. That's the important part here. They know his voice. And they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate or I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Those they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, I'm going to pause right here for a brief moment because in the King James Version, it says it in the way that needs. It has that gravity, that depth to it. Jesus says in the King James that I am come that you might have life and life everlasting, right? Well, the beautiful thing about that for my fellow Bible scholars out there is that whenever Jesus says I am and then a statement, it just translates to God is or God has, which is a trigger right there. Right. Like the children of Israel should have been listening to this. They should have like, oh, this is God telling me it's him. Yahweh, I am that I am. I mean, but, you know. The, the thickness of the heads there. Jesus proceeds to then say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Now, again, I do understand this was a rather beefy chunk of scripture. Uh, typically, I like to limit the verses to about 10 to 12 at most, but it's important we had all this good meat here. Why? Well, led and fed, right? The beautiful thing about that topic 
is the interpretation of it. One of the most important things in scripture for us is that we are told to guard our hearts above all else, right? For flow it flows the issues of life, right? And if we just translate that down a little bit more to modern translation, the things that we allow to creep inside of our heart can dictate the path in which we take, right? Now, at no point in life am I telling you that you can protect yourself from being hurt or anything of that capacity. Life is rough. It's going to happen. But what I am saying is that the things that you allow yourself to willingly take in can either make you or break you, right? We can be influenced, all of us, at any point in time by any and everything. Now, of course, God willing and thankfully so. That as we grow in our relationship with Christ Jesus, that certain things do not have any weight upon us anymore, right? And that we also know, according to the book of James chapter 1, that because temptation is something that stems from the heart, that as we go throughout our sanctification process, certain things that used to be able to trick us and trap us no longer have the power to do so because we are no longer tempted in those ways. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Remember, we come to him broken. We don't get fixed to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus to get fixed. That's how this works. Now, the important thing about that nice chunk of scripture from the book of John is simply this, right? Jesus lets us know that as his sheep, those of us that really do belong to him, that Christian is not just something that we, you know, in name alone, right? We actually belong to the Lord most high. We follow him. We try to do our very best through the power that he's given us to live a holy and pleasing life because he is holy and that's what he requires. We do these things, of course, with the regard to please our father and to try to help others that are either still lost or those that are saved, but aren't quite yet putting things into practice. And it's because of this stamp of approval that we have on our hearts, that blood-stained banner that we walk around with Jesus's name on it. It's that right there that says that because of that, when we hear an unfamiliar voice like Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture, we don't hearken unto it because I don't know who that is. When my father talks to me, I don't have to second guess it, right? Now, of course, there are times when I pray about certain things and he may give me a word, And because I am unsure of me and where I am because of my emotional state, I might ask the Lord to just confirm it for me again. And of course, he will do so for me. He's not going to deny me that because I want to make sure that before I go and act, it's him and not me. Now, that's totally separate. But, you know, for, for sure, if you were somewhere and you heard a voice say, hey, you should steal that, you know, good and well, that's not Jesus talking to you. At no point in time will the Lord instruct you to steal, ever. I mean, come on now. At no point in time will Jesus say to look upon another person lustfully and go do whatever you were thinking about doing. Like, come on now, don't. And for the people out there that say, well, you know, God sure loves to tempt me. Actually, no, he doesn't. You know, in the Bible, it says that The Lord does not tempt us because he cannot be tempted. So why would he do that to us? I mean, mean, we have a Bible. I suggest we read it a little bit more before we just start spouting off a little bit of nonsense. Okay, But I say all of this simply to say that God not only is telling us that he will lead us, 
he's not only telling us that he is watching over us, protecting us, but that because we are his children, we can't be fooled. And that's the beautiful thing about it. If my grandmother, if my mom, if my aunts, if my uncles, anybody that I really love and I'm close to call me, even if it's from an unsaved number, when I hear their voice, I'm going to know it's them. And because we live in a day and age where uh, artificial intelligence is a thing and it's very easy to recreate somebody's voice, that's still not enough to trick me because I know the cadences in their voices. I know the way they talk. I know the way that we interact with each other. It's certain words and phrases and things that they'll say that I don't care how much you study a person, you'll never fully get it all the way down. So in the same capacity, when we hear our father speak to us, I know when it's when it's Abba talking to me, right? I know when it's my God telling me to do something, when he's telling me to sit down, when he's telling me to just be still and wait and know that he is God, I know. And his word is a further confirmation of that. And because we walk with the living word inside of us, I mean, we should know, right? So therefore, just like Jesus promised, even in here, that the good shepherd is the one that goes out ahead of us and prepares the way. He's leading us. And in turn, what else does a shepherd have to do for his flock of sheep? He has to tend to them. He feeds the sheep. He gives us his word, right? That he is the bread of life, that he is the manna from heaven, not the little chips of bread that God sent to the children of Israel in the wilderness to feed them. But he is the actual sustenance that we desire. For when Jesus was in the mountain range fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan tried to tempt him with some some bread and water and whatever else he had, he straight up told him that man does not live on bread alone, but that we should be sustaining ourselves on every single word that flows from the mouth of God. Your physical body, it can go a little bit without some food, right? But what we can't go without is without nourishing our spirit. For when we don't feed it, it dies. It shrivels up. It gets very hungry. And what do you do when you get too hungry? You go into survival mode and you will eat the first thing you can get your hands upon in the same capacity. We double back now. You got to guard your heart. And it says it so many times throughout the New Testament. And one of my favorite uh Iterations of it, aside from being in the book of Philippians, I believe it's in the book of Isaiah, it says, and it's the New King James Version that I'm going to quote here, that uh, you will keep those in perfect peace who keep their mind stayed on you, right? That in Yah, the Lord, there is peace and strength. And it's like, yes, I've seen it in action for myself, other people. And when we just focus on Jesus, there's really not too much that can begin to bother us anymore. I don't care what trial, what storm of life you're going through, what mess you find yourself in. When Jesus becomes the center of that storm, well, it's the eye now. And in the eye of any weather system, there is peace. And God is rotating peace. Wherever I am in the storm and he is there with me, I have peace. Whether I'm at the beginning of the weather system or I'm walking halfway through it or I'm on the way out, you can have peace through every step of the way. We just have to remember that when the lies get spewed from Satan, that we don't need to buy into it, 
that every single thing that God has already instilled inside of us, he uses storms to pull it out, to temper it, to perfect it. You go to school to learn and then you take a test to see if you've retained the information. In the same way, Jesus teaches us important life lessons, important um, important uh, perceptual instances of how to use the word accordingly and how to just have faith in him, how to trust him. Because remember, it's our job to trust him and it's his job to show up. We don't do the showing up. We just wait and watch how God blows our mind every single time. And when we follow the the perfect system that he's laid out before us, I mean, it's a street called straight for a reason, right? That the straight and narrow is hard to walk because sometimes we get too antsy. But I've learned in my short years on this planet that it doesn't matter about when you think you're ready to get there. Don't you think that the God who exists outside of time, who created time itself to govern us, knows when things are supposed to happen? I get it. You want it done when you want it done. But if God did it like that, we'd never learn and we'd be stunted in growth. So God does what he does when he does it for our health, our benefit, our well-being, and not just us, but for those around us. We go through everything that we go through so that we can grow into the perfect image of what he has already casted us to be from eternity's past. I, I've said it a lot so far this year, but I'll say it again. The silversmith puts the silver or the raw ingredients to refine into purified silver into the fire. And as he tempers it in the flame, he pulls it out when he sees his own reflection inside of the material. Well, as mirrors of God, don't you think that God knows when we're going to get clean enough to shine his light back onto another person just enough to where they can get it? And in doing so, that we'll be in a place to where we've been so accustomed to patiently waiting on him. And remember, waiting is a proactive measure that the last task you were given before you were told to wait is the thing that you need to be doing in your season of waiting, that God is going to work it all out. Because guess what? In case you forgot, God is a keeper and a performer of his word. When he told you to do something and then told you to wait, that doesn't cancel out the previous assignment. It's just a pause on you moving forward. Why? Because he wants to see, can you be faithful over what you've been giving? So we've already been led and we've been fed. Now he's waiting to see, can my baby pass the test? And half the time, and I promise I talk about it all the time with my brothers. It's us. I'm the problem. Okay. I'll tell you right now, I am the issue. God's not the problem. I'm not even worried about Satan. It's me. I got problems, okay? I have issues. And a lot of them get resolved when I stop being so dense and I just wait on God patiently. He's brought me this far. Why won't he take me the rest of the way? But it's us. It's me. I'm the problem. We got to stop sometimes and really just let God do what he does best. And that's be him. I mean, the next scripture, he, he literally says it. We'll, we'll go into it. Um. And it's not the next scripture, it's our last scripture. But in the next scripture, we, we can talk more about that in the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And in Luke, chapter 15, verses four through seven, they talk about the exact same thing. But the, the verbiage is different here. And I chose both of them because I want to break it down for you. 
Jesus says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. For the son of man has come to save that which was lost. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. And that same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And then in Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, here's my favorite part right here. Jesus says he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have strayed away. Let me just say that I truly love the the verbiage here, the diction, the way this is set up, right? In Matthew, when Jesus talks about the lost sheep, he says that <clears throat> won't he leave the 99 others on the heels to go search for the one that is lost, right? Now, what I find so good about that is that if you just use your biblical knowledge for a moment and you go back to the Old Testament and the book of Psalms, right? It says, my eyes turn towards the heels from whence my help comes, right? Well, hmm. Hmm. You catching what I'm putting down right here? Jesus is leaving those of us that are already good on the hill and he's leaving it. I'm already looking toward the hill from which my help comes. Uh, if I've been out there dusted and busted or if I've been put on assignment and I'm just I'm beat up and I need some assistance. When I turn back my eyes toward that hill, guess who's coming get me? Abba, big bro. My lawyer, my doctor, my everything, my all in all, he is coming to get me. And the other beautiful part here about this is what else does it say? In Luke, it says that he leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go search for the one that's lost until he finds it. Well, if you've been with me, you know that the wilderness is this life, right? But see, the thing about this life, about it being the wilderness, is that when Jesus leaves us in a passage of, of space, remember, he's the door. So wherever he is and we are, we have green pasture to come and go to restore ourselves. Right. So think of it as if it was like a little pop up tent, like especially out here in Texas when it gets real hot during the summer and they have those cool tents where you can go and chill and relax and catch your breath. Jesus has those set up so strategically, excuse me, throughout the land. Right. Where will be on assignment and then we're like oh lord i need a moment and then boom there he is right there in the midst of the wilderness with us preparing us a place to rest remember he's your rock in a weary land he's the water that you need when you're thirsty and of course he is that bread that you need to sustain yourself he is providing each and everything that we need and here's the the part that really got me right here right it's that when jesus finds the one that was lost he joyfully carries them home. I mean, what kind of love is that, right? 
you you left the ones that were good to find the lost one and then you joyfully bring them back home but what does it mean to be lost well <clears throat> the literal definition of sin is an absence of a person and god there is a, a a separation between the two and sin causes that that's what sin is but see jesus loves us so much and he said it in in john chapter 10 that the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep that he gave his life up for every single one of us that it is in god's perfect will that none should perish but that all should be saved it's not his will that anybody should die not spiritually right but the way the cards work out i mean people reject him for their own evil reasons because there is no good reason to say no to jesus not a single one you got to be crazy and at one point in time your boy was crazy because that's just how life is right <clears throat> but we get with god and i mean he comes look for us he comes and looks for us and when a person gets saved when jesus goes out to find them right i mean all of heaven rejoices one of my favorite passages of scripture and in, in parable wise is um when jesus talks about the prodigal son as somebody who's been there before it's not fun being out there realizing that every single thing that the godly person jesus put in your life to warn you about that would happen not can happen but that would happen if you go out there it happened and then you just sit there so confused because it's like i didn't even need to go through this but hey I mean, we have that saying that some of the best lessons in life are the ones that you have to buy, right? And the sad part about it is, is that Jesus already bought it. He paid for the course in full, free college tuition, and yet we're still looking for somewhere to pay. Why? I, I can't answer that one for us, except the fact that, you know, we're people and we got problems, but it's okay because Jesus is greater than every single problem I have in my life. And I say all of that to say that I just I love the way the Lord loves us because not only does he lead us and feed us, but when we start straying off, he makes it to where we don't get far. Right. Even in the parable of the prodigal son, the son was with the father his whole life. And then he got this pompous nature about himself and said, give me my inheritance. Right. And I'm going to go and do my thing. And the father didn't have to do it, but he knew in order for the son to learn to listen. He sent him off <clears throat> and he went and enjoyed himself in quotations with, as the Bible says, riotous parties, wild orgies, uh, drunkenness, whatever, all of the above, all the things that would happen if you don't allow the fruit of the spirit to guide your life. And when he was broke, dusted and busted, and even the food that the farmers were feeding to pigs looked appealing to him, he finally got it through his thick head that I need to go home. And I need to apologize to my father. And I don't even want to come back as his child. I just want to have space in the kingdom so I don't suffer. But what happens? He comes back and the father sees him a ways off and tells his servants to prepare a feast because his lost child has come home. And before the son could even get a full apology out, he embraces him, hugs him kisses his cheek, gives him new clothes, a bath, and a ring on his finger to re-symbolize the fact that that is his child. And the one that was already there, count us as the 99, right? 
began to spaz out a little bit and said, Father, you've never done this for me, and I've always been by your side. And the father reminds the son that didn't leave that, hey, everything I have has always been yours. And if we fill in some blanks here, you just never asked. We have not because we ask not. Jesus is going to lead you. He's going to feed you, right? But there are certain things that God just does not do unless we speak to him about it. It's not because he doesn't know, but because he needs us to initiate for our own sake. God does not grow from our relationship with him. We grow from the relationship with him. God doesn't need to grow. He's perfect in every way. We got to grow up, though. We have to get past self to realize that everything God allows in life, even the prodigal seasons, is for our good. Do they hurt? Absolutely. But when does growth not hurt? You go to the gym, you be in pain. <clears throat> I work out four times a week with my brother. It, it, it hurts a lot sometimes, more often than not. But every time I do it, I feel better because I know I'm growing and I'm evolving and I'm getting better. In the same capacity, when God brings me through my past, because that's our worst enemy, when he brings me through my past and I can finally focus on the present, it hurts sometimes. But guess what? I'm better for it. Satan can't use something that's non-existent to, to bother me anymore. Your past is just that. It's in the past. It doesn't even exist anymore in present time. But yet we allow things that can't even really touch us anymore to ruin our day. And like Jesus says, worry about the evils of today for the evils of today are sufficient enough. Right. And if we put it in modern translation, the trials and tribulations of today are more than enough for you to handle. Let's just work on that and then we'll look at tomorrow, God willing. But we got to we got to use the word properly. He's led us. He's fed us. Now, let's pass the test. Now, let me get you on home. In the book of John, chapter four, verses 21 through 24, Jesus said, uh, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, I mean, Jesus just said it best, right? We worship him in spirit and in truth. God does not care. If you uh, go to the church to worship him, if you meet up with your family to worship him, if you go into a literal prayer, prayer closet to worship him, if you do it in the middle of your living room, in the shower, outside, it does not matter where you are. God is only concerned with the simple fact that when you call out to him, that you are praising him from the depths of your spirit, right? Uh, we have a thing. Right. Where we we call it more so of a guttural thing where you just get that real strong and almost violent. Hallelujah. Deep down in the, the pit of your chest. Right. And that whenever you say hallelujah or you say that name, Jesus, you feel the fire from your belly heat up the just all of your chest. And now you, you can't stop sweating. 
because you're engulfed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, you begin to realize that the worries of life that were bothering you up until that exact moment that the fire got put on high, that none of it matters, okay? Literally, nothing in this life except for Christ really matters. Everything we do, whether it be the little work that we do to make money, the interactions that we have with one another, it's all tied to Jesus. The Bible even says that everything that we do, we do as unto the Lord, meaning there is a purpose for, or at least there should be a purpose for everything that we do under the sun. That the Bible tells us that the wise man orders his steps unto the Lord, right? That just, um, I don't remember which book of the Bible, it may be Acts, it may be James. I'm not too sure right at this moment. But it tells us that instead of us saying, hey, we'll go do this and that this day. Instead, we say, if God permits, then we will do this and that in his name whenever, right? Because tomorrow's not promised. But every single day that we have, we use it to the best of our ability through Jesus to make an impact in somebody's life. Whether you send them a funny text, which makes them smile. And you don't know that that smile probably saved them from some suicidal thoughts to just checking in on them, stop them from doing something that they would have regretted for the rest of their days. Going visit that person in the hospital gave them enough joy, not happiness, but joy, because joy comes from Jesus, gave them enough joy to be filled with fervor for life that they got up out of that bed because you blessed them. And the light that shines on down from heaven, from the throne room itself, on your dainty little mirror shined into their heart and refracted and caused a fire to erupt inside of them where they got saved. Or at least to the point to where they could begin the process of getting saved. That literally everything we do stems from the call that God gave us. And literally, you know, like Jesus says in John 6, 35, that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That because Jesus is the beginning, the end, the middle, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. I mean, we we serve a mighty God and the mighty God that we serve loves us, takes care of us is doing every and anything for us in order to ensure that we have the best possible outcome. Why? Because he knows the plans that he has for us, that they are for good and not for evil, that they are designed to prosper us and to give us an expected end. And that when we allow ourselves to be led, because there are some stubborn sheep among us, I can be stubborn myself. I will tell on me every day of the week if it helps you get better. That when we just follow Jesus for real, for real, and stop playing games when we are actually about it instead of just saying it. Well, life gets better, okay? It doesn't always get easier, but it becomes bearable. And I will take that 10 times out of 10. I'd rather struggle on the mountain with Jesus knowing I can get up it than hang there ready to fall without a helping hand anywhere to be found. It's the same capacity as when I go to the gym. I'm perfectly fine with lifting weight that I don't even think I'm capable of, knowing that my brother is right beside me to spot me if I fail. Well, in that same regard, I love walking through this life with Father Jesus, knowing that regardless of what I go through, he will get me through it. Just plain and simple. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer just saying thank you, Lord. 
Lord, we thank you for all the wonderful things that you do for us. We thank you for leading us, Father, and we thank you for feeding us. We thank you that along this journey that you teach us, that you instill inside of us all the things that we need to prosper and to be successful. Father, only you know what it is that each and every one of us truly needs. And we know because of you, God, that all those needs can be met through relationship with you. So, Father, for those of us who are already in relationship with you, I ask that you would strengthen it, that you would make those bonds and those roots deeper than they ever have been before so that our trust and our faith can grow inside of you, that in the areas of our lives where we have some disbelief, that you would knock it on out the park and help us there. Because, Lord, there is no reason why we should not be trusting you 100 percent in every area of life. But that's just who we are. And we thank you for loving us anyway. And for those who don't really know you yet or those who say they do, but aren't fully on board, just put them in a precarious situation in the same way that you did for us to get them saved and realize that you are the only way, the only truth and the only life to be had. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we give your name all the praise, all the honor and all the glory which you so rightly deserve. It's these things we thank you for. In Jesus name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey family, I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.